0: Pope St. John Paul II said that discovering Christ always again and always more fully is the most wonderful adventure of our life. Blazing the Trail is a weekly conversation where we talk about this adventure with courage and hope while sharing stories about what the Holy Spirit is doing in Western Oregon and beyond.
1: And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Day Radio. I'm your host, Miriam Marston. It's great to be with you each week as we hear stories of how God is working powerfully in people's lives. And there are stories not just from the Pacific Northwest, but different parts of the country. And this week, we're headed over to Minnesota to speak with Joshua Danis, who serves as the National Director of Alpha Catholic Context. And during the course of our interview you're going to hear the word charisma a couple of times and since alpha is primarily concerned with the charisma, it's worth taking a few minutes to unpack it but first an analogy so when i'm babysitting my 15 month old niece and nephew and i announce to them look mama and papa are here they're back they're home their eyes light up and they get this radiant look on their faces and it's not because they don't care about me at all. I mean, I, I don't think it's that, at least. <laughs> but I've announced the arrival of the most important people in their lives, their parents. And they drop everything and toddle over to meet them at the door with an excitement that makes them almost trip and fall over. Now, that's just a little glimpse of the power of an announcement, a proclamation. Now, the charisma is a proclamation, and not just of a set of ideas or a list of rules. It's the proclamation of a person. Now, in his 1990 encyclical, Redemptoris Missio, Pope St. John Paul II defines the content of the kerygma. He says that, "...the subject of proclamation is Christ, who was crucified, died, and is risen. Through Him is accomplished our full and authentic liberation from evil, sin, and death. Through Him God bestows new life that is divine and eternal." This is the good news which changes man and his history, and which all peoples have a right to hear. He goes on to say that proclamation is the permanent priority of mission. In the complex reality of mission, initial proclamation has a central and irreplaceable role since it introduces man into the mystery of the love of God, who invites him to enter into a personal relationship with himself in Christ and opens the way to conversion. In one of his other writings, Pope St. John Paul II sums it up like this, that the kerygma is the initial ardent proclamation by which a person is one day overwhelmed and brought to the decision to entrust himself to Jesus Christ by faith. So, the content of the kerygma goes way beyond just a a compilation of facts— This is about being overwhelmed by the very presence of this person in our life, to the point where something, perhaps everything about our life, needs to change in response to the presence of this person, Jesus Christ, who has been proclaimed to us. And it means moving past some of the polite small talk with Jesus. He doesn't need you to tell Him your name. He knew it even before time began. He knows your name better than you know it yourself. And He desires for you to accept His gift of love and mercy. And He wants to be the one at your side as you make every decision, to be your consolation on your worst days, and to be the source of your deepest joy. So please enjoy my conversation with Josh as he shares the impact of his own encounter with Christ. And as always, I'll offer a reflection after the interview. I am delighted to be joined today by Joshua Danis. Josh is the National Director for Alpha Catholic Context. Josh, it's great to have you on the show today. How are you?
0: Hi, Miriam. Great to be with you. Um, I'm having a wonderful day. The cooler weather has finally started to roll in in Minnesota. And I know it sounds crazy, but we actually enjoy the cooler weather here.
1: That Uh, does sound a little bit crazy. (laughs) (laughs) How cool does it get at this time of year in the fall?
0: You know, yesterday, uh, the high was about 50 and that, that was perfect. Um, this morning I was going for a walk and I want to say it was low thirties and that was a little cooler than I would prefer at this time of year, but it was also still really nice, crisp, clean air and blue skies. So really nice.
1: Beautiful. Well, someone has to enjoy the cold weather and I'm glad it's, it's, it's not me, but <laughs> there there are people out there who do. And that's awesome. Well, Josh, gosh, it's great to have you on the show, and. Um, you know, I have a chance every week to chat with folks who are in the work of evangelization and you're right there in the thick of it. Um, but if you're in this line of work in ministry, that means that somehow you experienced evangelization along the way. So let's talk about what that looked like for you. How did faith and church, the person of Jesus Christ, how did all of this figure into your own story?
0: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully uh, our stories have also been impacted along the way. Um I was recently asked this question and I said, you know, I kind of actually have a boring story because um, I was always raised up in a Catholic family. I didn't have any of these dramatic mm-hmm. moments, um, just a kind of very steady, gradual process. But then they invited me to spend about an hour sharing this, the the quote unquote boring story. And I realized that oh, maybe... Maybe it's not as boring as I thought it was. Uh, It may not be quite as sensational as other people's stories. But yes, uh, Jesus Christ has come to this broken man and um, has begun the process of redemption. And uh, um, month in and month out, year in and year out, I've seen new seasons in which he continues um, to go about the work of redeeming and healing me.
1: Yeah. Oh gosh, that's beautiful. So walk us through a couple of those stages. Um, You say it's boring, but there's, there's real work that's, that's there that Jesus Christ has done in your heart. So what did some of those turning points look like?
0: Yeah. uh, So I grew up in a a Catholic home and my parents were faithful Catholics and brought us to church every week. And we had family rosaries on a regular basis and, and what have you. And I remember in junior high, uh, and then early in high school, getting very passionate and excited about um, the intellectual arguments for faith, faith and reason. And um, uh, in particular, studying uh, you know, covenant theology. And uh, I got a Peter Kreeft book about it was called Introduction to Theology. And um, I was so excited to, to make that progress. And little did I know years later that yeah, this technically it's an intro book, but it's actually maybe some of the most profound spiritual um, intellectual um, exploration I could go across. And, and that led me to go to Franciscan university of Steubenville. Mm-hmm. People go to Steubenville for a lot of different reasons. My reason in particular was, um, I knew that the theology professors were required to sign the oath of fidelity. And so, um, I wanted to have the kind of authentic, very logical structured argumentative, um, discourse, um, understood with faith and, uh, had a phenomenal experience, um, in Steubenville. Um, but it also, um, Included um, some some beginnings of stirrings of my heart, yeah. and uh, I'd say one of the one of the big seasons, one of the, the major seasons of conversion in my life um, began when I was a senior in high school. It was the year. This is going to date me. This is going to let everyone know exactly how old I am. But it was the year uh, that the tw- the twin towers fell, yeah. and it was also the same year that the the most significant um, priest abuse. Um, scandals began to be revealed, and um, I I went through, and then on top of that, and on top of those two things, um, my own church had not a not a massive scandal, n- nothing um, meriting um, civil uh, penalties. No, no, no official crime was committed, but just just a, a scandal of of Christian charity took place. Mm-hmm. And these these three factors really were a test for me. Of like, is this real? Is this something I actually? I mean, I know all the arguments for it, and I've been studying all the arguments for it. And I've decided to go to Steubenville because of all the arguments for it. But is this real? Um, yeah. I know it's true, or I believe it's true. But is it real? Does it does it really matter if if this is what it's going to feel like? And that brought me through a tough season, and, and I had to come into one of those moments of choosing to keep moving in this direction. Yeah. And uh, someone gave me a book on the life of Saint Francis of Assisi, hmm. and uh, I felt like. Before I got to know Francis, um, I had entered into this kind of uh, acceptance, uh, a begrudging acceptance of, yeah, this is true, a little bit of a bitter, yeah, this is true. Um, but seeing the ways that in his life, Francis was willing to surrender everything, to burn every bridge, to pursue the God whom he loved, uh, it really, it re my heart. It, it brought me to tears and it brought me to this, this new season of hope. Um, that there's more than just the truth. It is true, um, but there's also a story of love. And that sometimes in the midst of our discouragement, um, the passion um, becomes more rich. The passion becomes more rewarding. Uh, And so I I like to say that in that season, um, discovering the stories of the life of Francis, he helped to melt my heart um, so that it wasn't just intellectual, but it was also um, a heart journey.
1: Wow, that's powerful. What was the book uh, on the life of oh, St. Francis? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't even remember. Oh, that's all right. I I just, I always, I'm curious to know what other people read because you never know. Someone else might might pick it up. And But there's a lot out there on on St. Francis. So
0: I, I'm sure. It wasn't one of the famous ones. It wasn't like Chesterton's. Yeah. Um, or, but um, yeah, it was it was one of the popular ones at the time.
1: All right. And it did its work. So that's what that's what's important.
0: Well, so it, it was it... more than the book. Uh, you know, in, in time, I, I obviously I developed a devotion to, to Francis yeah. and began praying to Francis. And then I ended up joining a Franciscan household um, at Steubenville. Okay. Uh, and we read some of the early documents of um, Francis and his followers and got to know all the legends and all the, the stories. <laughs> and, uh,
1: of which there are many.
0: Of which there yeah. are many.
1: So, uh, so how did that kind of set up for the next season? Um, like I'm, I'm trying to get a sense like vocationally what's going on and then eventually how did you find yourself into the work that you're doing today?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to jump ahead because I know this isn't a two hour, uh, conversation. Um, Suffice to say, I had an incredible experience at Steubenville. It was a season of growth and deepening of wisdom and understanding and so many opportunities to pursue grace and um, the encouragement and accountability that comes in in Christian brotherhood, um, as well as having the availability of spiritual directors and constant presence of the sacraments. Um, I was very grateful for that season. And then as that season was drawing to a close, uh, at Christmas time of my senior year, I began praying um, a chaplet of St. Michael on a daily basis, specifically for my occupational discernment. Oh. I was praying the rosary for my vocational discernment, but I was praying this um, chaplet of St. Michael on a daily basis for my occupational discernment. God, what what career do you want me to follow? And Miriam, the strangest thing happened. I graduated, graduated with degrees in theology and philosophy, and I didn't get a dozen job offers waiting for me at graduation.
1: <laughs> Who would imagine that?
0: <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But I kept praying this, this chaplet um, day in and day out for uh, ultimately about nine months. And I took a job, a temp job as a gopher at a law firm for the summer. And I was planning to, to go on to continue my, my schooling, and get my master's the next year. When out of the blue, I got a call from a priest in Exeter, New Hampshire. And uh, this priest uh, heard about me through a, a common friend um, who, had, who knew that I was looking for a, a job. And this priest had asked if he knew anybody who he thought would be a good fit. And he mentioned me. So I went out and I interviewed and we prayed together and we planned together and we envisioned together. And he offered me the job. And only after he offered me a job that I tell him I've been praying this chapel to St. Michael for nine months mm-hmm. before being offered the position of director of evangelization at St. Michael's Parish. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, so I really do feel like the the patronage of, of Michael was with me in that season. Um, I, so I you know, obviously, uh, uh, as a, a Catholic, I, I have a great appreciation for our older brothers and sisters of faith who have gone before us. And Francis, of course, went before us as, as a human being here on earth. Um, Michael is kind of an honorary saint uh, as the, uh, the archangel, the great archangel that he was. Um, but I believe that that we do have a, a patronage with them, that, that God has invited them to participate with us in our journey of living out our redemption story here on earth.
1: Love it. And it's awesome to think that we have these saints on our side helping us in the work of evangelization too, which is very reassuring when it can seem a little bit daunting at times. We need that heavenly help uh, from our our friends who have come before us and who are with us. Um, so you moved out to New Hampshire? Uh, to become director of evangelization at St. Michael's. How long were you there for?
0: I was there for about three years. uh, And in the very first month while I was on the job there, my pastor put me in charge of experiencing and then running this thing out of England Mm -hmm. called Alpha.
1: All right. Uh, Tell our listeners a little bit about Alpha. I'm guessing not everyone might be familiar with it.
0: Yeah. So Alpha is a tool of the new evangelization. It's grounded in bringing people through a journey of faith where they might encounter the presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's very relational. Um, So it's structured around uh, a time of hospitality, often with a meal uh, followed by a very basic presentation on a very simple concept of the gospel uh, followed by um, a very unique style of small group conversation where your guests are encouraged to say whatever they think, express whatever they feel, without any fear of judgment or expectation. So it's not so much educational as it is explorational. Um, It's it's a very simple process, and we believe the reason it it succeeds, the reason it's been so effective all over the globe, um, Mm -hmm. is because of the level of prayerfulness we bring into it, and the level of respect we offer to the individuals going through this process. as, as we talked about at the beginning, you know, I, I had this great passion for um, the education of, of faith, the, the argument of faith and, and reason. Um, if we genuinely believe that the message of the gospel as revealed to us in the person Jesus is true, then it's going to rise to the top. It doesn't need to be argued. It doesn't need to be defended. It doesn't need to be attacking other other messages. You just need to create a space for people to wrestle with it. And if we are praying, then eventually the cream will rise to the top. And that's what we've seen demonstrated and then on on top of this hospitality, presentation, conversation piece, it all culminates in a retreat experience mm-hmm. focused on encountering the person of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And as we see in the Book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is the great mover, um, the great um, source of conversion, of source of wonder.
1: Oh, love it! How long does the uh, oh, I hate I hate to say it like calling it a process or a program, but. Uh, for lack of a better word, how, how long does that last from start to finish?
0: If yeah, so to Typically, it, uh, the process goes about 11 weeks. Uh, but the idea is that we really should treat this um, not as a start point, end point, but more as the beginning of a relationship. You know, when you're having a meal with people every week and you're sharing your, your thoughts and um, you're meeting people without judgment or expectation, some strong friendships begin to form. And so people often ask me, what, what should be the follow-up to alpha? Yeah. If alpha is a starting point, what's your beta? And uh, over and over again, I, I stress that the beta has to be relationship. The beta just has to be um, continuing an ongoing uh, encounter with the individuals that you began to journey with. And, and maybe that will involve some program along the way, but you can't kind of cookie cutter yeah. what that journey of faith might look like for someone. Yeah. So, a process that that begins relationship and continues, hopefully indefinitely, hopefully till kingdom come, right?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. For those just tuning in, I'm speaking with Joshua Danis, who is the national director for Alpha Catholic Context. And Josh, if you could walk us through, there's there's that those last two words, the Catholic context. So mm-hmm. Alpha was not originally uh, from within the Catholic Church in England, um, but talk about how it's been adapted then in a Catholic context.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we do pride ourselves that Alpha is an ecumenical resource. It's grounded in the kerygma of faith, the most basic message of Jesus Christ's life, death, resurrection, and what that means for us. Um we often um mention C.S. Lewis's great work Mere Christianity. Um and it's it's this central message um that anyone that that would would carry the name Christian would agree with the content of that. And so we're we're kind of proud of that. You know, you know So many uh, non-Christians, so many non-believers, especially in a post-Christian world, in a world that was part of Christendom at one point, they look at Christians who don't even get along with one another, who argue and fight with one another. And they say, how on earth could we come to believe what you do when you can't even get along with one another? And so we we pride ourselves in this message uh, that this is our common creed, that this is what makes us brothers and sisters in Christ, this Mm -hmm. basic message um, that's shared on Alpha. But what makes it Catholic context uh, is the understanding that we have as, as Catholics, as Catholic parishes and Catholic organizations, utilizing this tool um, to hopefully invite people into a journey of exploration that includes um, the catechumenal process and initiation into the fullness of the life of, of the Catholic Church. Um, so I like to draw the distinction between content and context, The content is the same, regardless of who's um, sharing it. The context is understanding how to most effectively utilize it based on our language, based on um, who we are as church. So we talk about the new evangelization and the art of accompaniment and relational ministry and um, uh, the RCIA process Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. as part of the way we understand where Alpha fits.
1: So it's something that is most frequently done then through parishes. Is that correct? Or, or could someone just start like an alpha group in their community? Um,
0: but it's yeah, absolutely. Often. You are right that it is most predominantly done through parishes. We very much believe uh, in the parish process. In fact, part of um, Alpha's um, mission is to equip and serve the local church in its mission yeah. to help people discover and develop a relationship with Jesus. So we do have a primacy of place for the structure of the local church. That being said, there are amazing apostolates that are running Alpha. There are, there are Alphas being run in coffee shops and soup kitchens and prisons and homes, uh, YMCAs and, and um, civic centers and, and what have you. But ideally, ideally, however people begin the journey with Alpha, ultimately we want to invite them into relationship with the local church.
1: Right. No, that, that makes sense. Um, and like you said, that's going to be the where people looking for that, that beta program. It's not necessarily a program. It's just for the relationship and community. Um, in, your, in your work in this area, I'm wondering, how, how many years have you been in it, first of all?
0: Yeah, so I, I guess I should clarify for those of your listeners yeah. who've been in since the beginning. I started yeah. utilizing the tool of Alpha.
1: That's it. My yeah. first
0: day on the job or my first month on the job at St. Michael's in Exeter, New Hampshire. I uh, and I did that for for three years. And while working for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, uh, I wasn't running Alpha, but I, I had carried several of the cultural values of Alpha with me uh, into that work, most especially this focus on deep, intimate connection with the person Jesus and that the, the the charismatic message of his redeeming power should be the central theme of any ministry. So marriage prep became a focus of hey, we are striving to grow in this encounter with Jesus. And now as married couples, you'll do that together. Um, The the journey for uh, a truly pro-life culture, a truly social justice culture, became an emphasis, a focus on meeting people through dialogue, through um, understanding uh, different people's perspectives and allowing the truth to rise to the top. So I took those values with me. And then in 2016... Uh, some folks from Alpha USA, from the actual uh, structured organization of Alpha, came to Cincinnati. And uh, after uh, conversation, one thing led to another, and I found a job offer waiting for me. Originally, yeah. I was working simply as the local network director for Dayton, Ohio. Okay. And then after nine months in that position, um, the national director for Alpha Catholic Context, my, my predecessor, Deacon Steve, reached out and said, hey, I'm hiring an associate director for the national work, and I'd like you to apply. So I applied, and I I was hired to do that. And four months after that, he came to me again, and he said, Josh, I'm retiring, so we need to hire a new national director, and I'd like you to apply. So I found myself uh, in 2017, in in July of 2017, stepping into much larger shoes. And it was an intimidating process at first, but um, hopefully the Holy Spirit has Uh, moved in the midst of it anyway.
1: No, and it's so great because you got to experience actually using Alpha. And then um, obviously, like that would have been translated into your work today. So I can imagine that's just borne great fruit in your own ministry. And that's where I want to kind of wrap up, Josh. We have a couple minutes left. And I always like to ask my guests, where are you seeing signs of hope? Um, Where are you just a story of where you've really seen the Holy Spirit at work? Uh, Leave us on that note.
0: Yeah. Well, all of your, uh, your listeners know this, this is no surprise to anybody. This is a very difficult season that we're in as yeah. a church. Yeah. Uh, COVID led to so many churches having to close their doors, depending on where you were in the country. It could have been a few weeks uh, to many, many, many months. And it's been kind of a reset moment for the church. And that, that has been hard. There's, there's been pain in the midst of that, but, I, I'm actually excited for, for what's happened. I believe that this moment has caused a reset for all of us. It's, it's been a firm enough line of demarcation mm. that it has forced us to go back to the big questions. It's forced us to go back to asking not just what does our church do, but why is our church doing it? And it's given us the opportunity to look at many of the things that maybe we've simply continued to do because we always did them well for the, for a year or for at least six months, we weren't able to do them, and so now we get to go back to the message of Jesus Christ, to the message of the gospel, and of course all the doctrines and dogmas of the church. Uh, we we continue to hold those those sacred, but some of the practices that we've sort of just sort of stumbled into, we realize we don't have to necessarily continue them, and so we're in a special season where we get to go back to our our essential values of who we are as church and build afresh. On that, Of course, we continue to utilize the sacraments and the life of the liturgy and the life of our prayer. But some of our, our practices, some of our, um, our secondary um, ways of doing this, they might go away or they might be improved upon. And so I love the way that this kind of, this was a retreat for us. This was a, a restart. And now we get to build more wisely for the future. So I'm really hopeful about what the next 10, 20 years are going to look like. It's painful today, but let's take the most of this opportunity and and become something better.
1: Amen to that. Josh, thank you so much for your time today. I ask that God continue to bless you and your uh, wonderful ministry with Alpha.
0: Thank you, Miriam. God bless you.
1: During our interview, Josh mentioned C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, which has done an extraordinary job of presenting the kerygma to so many people. So as we wrap up this episode, let's turn to a few words from that text and let's pray for each other this week that we have the courage to keep turning back to Christ in whom we find our true identity and purpose. So a little wisdom from C.S. Lewis. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let Him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. There is so much of Him that millions and millions of little Christs, all different, will still be too few to express Him fully. He made them all. He invented, as an author invents characters in a novel, all the different men that you and I were intended to be. In that sense, our real selves are all waiting for us in Him. It is no good trying to be myself without Him. The more I resist Him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. In fact, what I so proudly call myself becomes merely the meeting place for trains of events which I never started and which I cannot stop. I am not, in my natural state, nearly so much of a person as I like to believe. Most of what I call me can be very easily explained. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to His personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please join me next week as we continue to blaze a trail of hope in our world today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all.
0: You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, produced through the studios of the Archdiocese of Portland. Join us in our mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ across Western Oregon by visiting archdpdx.org.